Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, welcome to Wickhouse Church. And um, as, we're, as you know, we're going through a series called Rejected. And it is a really, I think, like all this series we've been going through, um, grit really hit me personally um, to be tougher. Um, and uh, Rejected has also hit me really well. Um, Wynn's sermon last Sunday was really good for me. Um, and I've heard many were encouraged by it. And, um, and so I'm, I'm blessed and honored to carry on this sermon today um, about what it means to be rejected and just basically the struggle of rejection, just how we are afraid of it, what rejection has done in my life and shaping me, um, and I'm obstinate, and uh, making me stronger and a stronger person, uh, helping me see where God is going where God is taking me in life and bringing me so many blessings, many of you here, my wife. Um, but yet how, how scary it is when we know that rejection is a possibility. Um, when we know that we live in a world that's hostile, particularly to people of the faith, that the world has fallen and Christ does not have a home here, ultimately that our home, if we are followers, is to come. And just struggling with all that and what it means to be rejected, knowing that. Um, and when you think about the story today um, about Mash- Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there you go, uh, just what were they facing when they were facing the fire, being rejected by the world around them for being different, for being Christian? And living that way didn't get them a nice house or um, a lot of respect. Ultimately, it did, but it got them a front row seat into a burning furnace. And so as we go into the story, be thinking about that um, in the sermon after. What does it really mean to live for Christ in this world? Does it really mean a destination like these three men? And what does that What does that mean for us? So without further ado, let's go to the video. King Nebuchadnezzar made a golden statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officers to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all the officials came and stood before the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages, Listen to the king's command. When you hear the sounds of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers 
went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they heard the sound of the harp, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also stated that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the providence of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the golden statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sounds of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the burning furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them in the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbounded walking around in the fire unharmed and the fourth one looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came so close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their head was singed and their clothes was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, 
praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the providence of Babylon. Awesome story, right? I want to pray real quick before we start. <clears throat> Father God, thank you so much for this amazing story that is true. Lord, we pray that your word continues to be proclaimed this morning. Lord, may you pierce our hearts. May you speak to us about what it means to walk into the furnace for truth, for, for your kingdom, for you, to rather burn with you than live apart from you, ironically. So we praise you, Lord, and may we hear your word this morning and be uplifted to be like these men. In Jesus' name. Amen. So how many of you would be just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and walk right into the fire? <laughs> yeah. How many of you are more like Shadrach, Meshach, and I'm fitting to go? And yeah, I'm not going. Probably me. Um, it's hard. I think that, you know, being a Christian today, people, I hear it commonly said that it's easier now than back then because large and by large, no one's walking in ready to kill us for being Christians, right? Like, basically, we're not going to... Some guys are going to walk in trying to shoot everybody. It has happened, but likely not. But I really think that that makes it harder because there's so much comfort, right? It's so much more comfortable... And it's so much easier to be comfortable in, in America right now so that if anything causes any churning of fire, any decision to live for Jesus and not for the world, it's hard to do for fear of approval or fear of I'm not going to get to watch the football game or it's raining outside or my friends are going to think ill of me. It's like a furnace. We're not being pursued and threatened to have our heads chopped off in America, but we are being pursued and seduced, I think, by the comforts that we so much enjoy and are blessed to have. And I think that's a fire. I really do think it's a fire. And so standing in the midst of that and being a follower of Jesus, even if it's anti-cultural, even if it's not what our friends think, or what our affiliations think, or our family think, that can be a furnace experience. And, and in those experiences, I really believe that we do find Jesus when we stand in it. There will be a fourth man in that. But it takes standing in the fire. So as I think about, though, 
me and, and how am I doing with that? Am I living in with Christ of living apart uh, from him in comfort? Uh, a story comes to mind that was 10 years ago when I just, over 10 years ago, when I just graduated college. And in this story, I was not willing to stand in the fire with Jesus. But because Jesus had a plan for me and he loved me so much, he used my rebellion anyway to prepare me for something greater. So for me, when I was 22 years old, I was just graduating from college, small town, Clarksville, Tennessee. Um, don't bother <laughs> going by there. But it's my hometown. Now Houston is, though. But when I was there, um, it was so comfortable for me. I had friends. It was, uh, I was a country guy, didn't really see much, didn't really know much. Simple living. And I had a friend that was a teacher that was also a college mentor at our student ministry group at the college. I went to college in my hometown. That's the kind of person I am, homegrown. And he left. He went to DeKalb, Illinois in uh, 2006. And after being there for a year, he gave me a phone call. He said, Howard, I'm going to minister to college students on this college campus uh, in DeKalb, Illinois, NIU, and I want you to come up and join me. At that time, I was just getting out of college, and I was looking at my own life and doing things my own way, and I was like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good, bro. I told him, no, I don't want to do that. That's scary. I don't know where Illinois is at. How do I even get there? What, what roads do I take? You know, I just got a car. I don't know how I can drive that far. So I told him, no. So a year later... There was a girl that I liked. Before Alyssa, there was another girl, other girls. And I had tried really hard to date this girl, okay? I knew her in college, and I thought she was everything, okay? And she had moved to Colorado, and I was like, oh, that's cool. I'm, I'm going to go there, too. That's where God's calling me, you know? <laughs> Somehow I hear Colorado, but not Illinois, you know? God's saying go to Colorado. Luckily, a best friend of mine was also going out there to be a college campus, a college, sorry, a student campus minister on a, on a Christian camp in Colorado Springs in the mountains. So he went, so I went with him. I knew that somewhere along the way, I'd probably see this girl again because she's out there. So I was just plotting this out, you know. So after about a, after about a couple of months, I, I ran into her. She'd come up to the camp and I had the, I found courage, and I asked her out, and she said no. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So I was, I was totally shot down, but then a few months later, I was asked independently, and so was she, to go on a mission trip to, to Bulgaria with a couple of college, a couple of high school kids. So I was thinking, this is God's will again, to go to, to, go to Bulgaria, because this girl's going, and, and I'm going, so God again is telling me to go. And so after prayer and raising some money, I raised $4,000 in, in no time, I went. And she was there, and three other adults were there, and nine high schoolers. And while I was there in, in Bulgaria, clear across the world, all I was thinking about is, I'm going to ask this girl out again, because this is God's will for me. Totally me. And God's like, I called you to Illinois. You're going everywhere else but Illinois, but oh, okay. So... We were, there was a sermon that was happening, 
uh, at the Bulgarian church, and it was being translated for us, and the sermon was about just waiting on the Lord and being willing to wait, even though it, it's hard, and being willing to stand in discomfort to wait. And I knew right then and there that God was talking about me. He's like, no, man, don't ask her out, okay? <laughs> You're here to do my will. I said no before. She's going to say, say, say no again. Just let it go. So I, I heard God, but I didn't really listen to God. And it was very tough. I mean, she was talking to me every day, and she was being my friend, which is hard to do, you know, being very buddy-buddy. And I was like, I can't take this anymore. And so after about two weeks, I asked her out again. And again, she said no. But this time, she really said no. She's like, that's it. I'm not talking to you anymore. This is getting awkward. Okay, let's stop. And so we didn't talk anymore the rest of the trip. And it was so awkward that the students that we were there, that we were supposed to be there with, were kind of caught in the middle. And they were like, well, we like Howard, but we like, but we don't know what to do. And so it kind of made the whole trip kind of awkward. We were out there for like two months. And honestly, two months apart from home with people that are your friends, but it's awkward with them, all because of my selfishness. It was like the hardest thing I could ever go through. It was the loneliest experience I've ever had. And that experience was probably the most painful experience I've ever had too. Because I didn't really have anybody I could go to. And I, I was 7,000 miles away or so from home. It was bad. But in that moment, in my furnace, I remember telling God, well, God, it's just me and you now. It's just me and you. And I said I was sorry to God. I knew it was about him. I knew that, God, you called me to go to Illinois a year ago when I didn't go, and here I am, and I just messed things up. Will you forgive me? I asked for forgiveness to God in Bulgaria, and of course he did. But there was some mending I had to do. I had to make some appeasement to my friends, to the high schoolers. It was not a good place to be. But the cool thing about it was is God always works in hard times when we're found in painful experiences apart and we feel alone and chastised. Places where, we even, where I even deserved to be in. It wasn't like I was some victim here. I, I did it. I remember on the way back from our trip, it was a great trip still. We did some good things and we saw God move. But on the way back from the trip, I just spent a lot of time reflecting. And when we got back to Colorado Springs, which was our, our base camp, we went out to eat at this diner. And it was late at night. We were just hungry. We were tired. And we had this server that was serving us. And he was, some, he was a kid. He, he had to be no more than, I think, 18 at, at minimum. And after he serves us all of our food, this table full of 13 people, he just looks at all of us and he says, are you guys a family? 
And we're like, what? A family? So it's 11 o'clock at night, and we're very multi-ethnic. And he's asking us if we're a family. And we were like, no. <laughs> but we did spend two months across the world together in a very difficult, strenuous, but adventurous situation. But I thought about that. I think what God was saying through this young guy 10 years ago was that hard times, they bond you together. In hard times, you find your family. In hard times, you find your purpose. In hard times, you find Jesus. And even though we were sick and tired of each other, <laughs> and we were ready to go our own way, this guy saw the kingdom of God in us. And it was for, it was because of the hard times we went through across the world is when he saw it. It's how we saw it. When I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the fact that they were choosing to live for the one true God in a place that did not love God, and that that brought them to a destination of fire. And in that fire, they found God. God was present in it. I think of that story. And I ask myself, I look back and I say, do I regret it anymore? No. Because it allowed that young man to see something that he had never seen before. But it allowed me to see God in a way that I hadn't seen God before. That no matter what you go through, no matter how hard it will get or it could get, God is there. He is always going to be there. But sometimes we have to go through hard experiences, stupid ones like me, to hear him and to see him. So when I got back to the Americas, I was resolved. I called my friend who asked me a year before. His name is Ben. I, I called him. I was like, hey, man, I haven't heard from you in a year, but I don't know if you're still doing this, but I'm going to come to Illinois. Are you, still, are you still there? He goes, yes. Okay. Can I still come? He goes, yes. And after I graduated, within just a few weeks, I packed up all my things that I needed in my car, and I just drove up to Illinois. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I just had to leave. I just knew that God was telling me, when I, when I call you, you obey, and you don't, you don't go your own way. Now, the cool thing about that is that that's how I met my wife. <laughs> so God was like, you weren't listening to me the first time. You see, you were praying about a wife for a long time. And you were going after this girl, and I was telling you to go to Illinois, and that's why I was telling you to go to Illinois. <laughs> but it took you to go through a furnace to see it. And so in Illinois, in 2011, on a, on a spring break trip, I met Alyssa. And it was totally unexpected. But just over circumstances, I knew that she was the one that God wanted me to marry. And I knew that I would not have 
met her if it wasn't for me being obedient to God because of hard things. But I also knew this, that the experiences before that where I had to learn that God was with me no matter what I did gave me the courage to ask Alyssa out <laughs> as well. So Alyssa, when I, call, when I met her, I call her in my mind the dragon. Alyssa the dragon. <laughs> Literally. She even likes being called a dragon, by the way. Why is that? Because when I first met her on this spring break trip, I wasn't looking for a relationship. I was focused on the Lord. But just in talking with her, she was just so direct and strove straightforward. No smiles. How are you doing? Fine. <laughs> so uh, what year are you in school? Fifth year senior. Okay. All right. Not pulling any punches here. Um, just like, she's like, what do you want to know, dude? I'm not here to impress you. Who are you? And, but I just knew that God was saying, uh, continue to talk, get to, get to know her, be her friend. And we started to really talk a lot more and we found common interests. And by the end of the week, I really felt like God was saying, you should, you should ask her out this time. And I was afraid because I had been majorly heartbroken in Bulgaria. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and she was like, who are you, dude? <laughs> no tells. But in the last hour, literally, of the last day of our trip in Florida, I stumbled and mumbled through and stuttered through a ask out. I said, hey, when we get back to Illinois, would you want to go out with me on a date? And she thought about it, and she said, sure. <laughs> Still jabbing me. And, um, but I just knew that if it wasn't for past experiences a year before, I wouldn't have asked her out. Because honestly, what God said in my mind before asking her out was, you've been, said, you've been, been called no before. What, how much harder can it be? So just do it. You see, hard times prepare us for better times. And I'm so glad that I asked out my then friend, now wife. But it wasn't going to happen unless I did. Daniel 3.28 says, The Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. There's a reward when we are willing to go through hard times. I know there are harder times than that. I know that people are going through harder times than figuring out who they want to marry. I know that. But whatever it is, just know that you have a story if you're walking with God and you're willing to go through it that he's using for something else. Just know that if you're willing to follow God in the discomfort or in boneheaded decisions 
and you're willing to acknowledge him in those times, that he's preparing the difficulties that come through that for something greater, something better. And that in that is the blessing. Everything has a purpose to it. Everything has a meaning behind it if you're pursuing the Lord. And so, actually, this story of being Bulgaria kept going uh, just about a month ago, actually. So we stayed for two months, nine years ago when this happened, in a house of, of a Bulgarian family with children. And it was, actually, they were great hosts. They were one of the respites I had in my awkward times being there. Well, just about over a month ago, they were touring the U.S. And they gave me a call, an email on Facebook, and they wanted to know if they could spend time with us, if they could see us. So I said, yeah. And so just a few months ago, they came to Houston, and we had, we had lunch together. You see that picture? We had lunch at one of our favorite spots. That's Bobby and Raleigh back there, and we're eating that Spanky's pizza. Um, and we had a good time. Actually, Bobby ate a whole lot of pizza. I was like, dude, calm down. I mean, <laughs> we only got one large. And he, he kept just like, hey, hey, hey. It was really good pizza. But you know what he said to me? He said, when we last saw you, you were homeless, single, and overweight. <laughs> The Bulgarians are very direct, you know. You're a homeless, single, and overweight. But now you're married, beautiful wife, nice home. Look at God. I was like, thank you. You're right. Look at God. And then we, we actually prayed. We asked them, can you pray for us to have a family, to, 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 to have some children? And I said, yeah, we, we'll pray for that too. And his wife was like, you know, if you can get a wife and get a, and get a home and, not, and be alone, then God can provide a child for you too. So we, so we prayed. So would I not have gone to Bulgaria? Well, I did in you know, disobedience, but it still was God's will. And in that, there was a greater story. And we got to praise God with our Bulgarian hosts in the third ward just a few months ago. So for you, my family, my friends, many of you I'm looking at here, and you know what we've gone through together. You're still shaping me into what God's called me to be. My wife every day is doing that with chisels and axes and everything. My dragon. Question for you. What rejection? I got to get serious here. <clears throat> what rejection is God using to strengthen you today? What is he doing? Are we praying? Are we asking him? Or are we just kind of bumbling through? What is he doing in the pain and the difficulties that you are going through? Maybe it's hard day at work. Maybe you're under review, under audit. Maybe the numbers aren't coming in. 
Maybe you're getting older and your muscles are bit, bit tearing more or getting creaky, whatever it is. Maybe you have pressure on you to lead in your family. Maybe you're trying to find work and you don't have it. Maybe your boss has pressure on you to perform and you don't know if you can do it. Maybe your family is treating you differently because you're a Christian and you don't know how to choose between family and your faith. What, is rejection, what rejection is God using to strengthen you today? What is God preparing you for today? Being rejected has brought me so many blessings. To where you wonder, is it just God's blessing to be asked to be thrown into a fire for him? You see, the book of Hebrews is all about this. Hebrews 11 is all about the church and how if you're following Jesus, you're going to be rejected a lot, not just by girls, but just because you're a follower of Jesus, the world isn't going to like that. It's not going to be cool. It's not going to be hip, trendy, in line. It's going to ask of you something. And either the devil, yes, he exists, is going to seduce you with comfort here, or he's going to actually physically oppress you in other places of the world where they do not want to hear the name of Jesus directly, and they will harm you for it physically. And when the writer of Hebrews 11 talks about this, He's talking about his believers and what it really means to be a follower of Christ. And he says in verse 11, 37 to 38, Some died by stoning, some were sawed in half, and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, Hiding in caves and holes in the ground. Thousands of years ago, the early church were a church of rejected people. And today we're the same way. Whether it's seduced by Netflix or pornography or money or stability or your 501k or whatever that is. <laughs> I don't know. We are harassed to go after these things. And it can keep us from finding God. From finding God. From finding Him in the fire. And here's the hardest thing. We, we are victims of oppression. There are those who are oppressed because of their skin color, because of how they were born, because of where they grew up, because of they have a disorder. They're not treated equally because of something. We all get some kind of oppression. Because the world doesn't love us. The world is broken. It doesn't want you to live. It wants you to die. And Satan is behind that. Yes, Satan exists. But here's the hardest part, too. Is that we also reject 
You see, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, us today, we are rejected by the world and we're thrown into fires. That's correct. But we reject people all the time. And ultimately, because of our brokenness, because of our fallenness, because of our sin, we reject Jesus. We have said no to Jesus so many times. And something we also reject. Just like me over nine years ago, I said no to God. Because of his awesome power, he brought me around to a better story. But I said no. I said no. Because he loves me and he had a better plan for me, he used my rejection for my redemption, for my salvation. And he's doing the same for all of us here. Acts verse 4, 11 through 12 is the last verse before we end. Peter is feeling the spirit here. He's bringing the fire. <laughs> he's, he's really bringing the heat right here in the sermon. And he says in verse 11, For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. What Peter was saying to the early church, to the early non-believers, which after this sermon became a huge, huge turning point in the church. Thousands would enter the church. Is what he's saying is that the very thing that's good, we have rejected. And because we have rejected Jesus, actually, he becomes the very peace for our redemption. Because I'm a sinner, he steps in my place, takes my penalty upon himself, and restores me. He brought me a wife, and I didn't deserve it. And so even though as Christians... We will be asked to go into fires. We ourselves start the fire. But regardless of being in the fire or starting the fire, we will find Jesus in it if we look for him, if we desire him, if we go to him, if we repent, if we embrace him, he will be walking around with us. And say, I'm there. I'm here. I'm for you. I'm here to redeem you. So do you believe that in rejection there is salvation? Who believes that? That in rejection there is salvation? Who believes that? Amen. That if it wasn't for the pain and the difficulty... And the things that God calls us to and the things that we do, that we wouldn't be in a better place. Amen? Amen. And that maybe the only thing God is asking is for us to just see him in it. 
to embrace him in the struggle. And at times, walk with him into it so that we can see a greater blessing that we will not have ever have seen coming. That we embrace the one that's rejected and we call him our home. And that's why, honestly, I'm so thankful for calling many of you here, my brothers and sisters, for calling Oikos Church my home. Because we are the church, the church. We are the people of the rejected. The world does not want us if you, are, if you call Christ your home. But Christ says, you have a home in me. And so may we enjoy the family that we have, the oikos that we have, the, the plan that God has for us, knowing that it is our true home in this world and that God has a great plan for us. And in our rejection, may we see him in it. And may we ask God, what do you want us to do? What do you want me to do, God? How can I glorify you? How can I walk through the fire for you? How can I see you in the midst of this world? Let's pray. Father God, we praise you, Lord, for your great plan. That though as we follow you and as we pursue you and as we trust you, it may lead us into fiery pits, places where we do not want to go. It may lead us to make decisions that we don't want to make. That in those choices, we will find you if we're doing it for you. And Lord, we praise you that even though we have rejected you, you embrace us. You love us. And that you actually use our rejection to secure our home. Oh, Father, help us overcome our pride. Help us overcome our fear. Help us overcome our arrogance. Help us just be like the children that we hear in this service right now, who are just here. Help us just be here to embrace you in all seasons of life. Help us see, Lord, that in you, The rejected have a home. And that though we rejected you, you love us. And that all we have to do is just say that, Lord, I have sinned. I have gone my own way. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Please embrace me again. And he will. Oh, he will. Because the stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. And it is marvelous to see. Thank you, Lord, for being our home. We embrace you, Lord, and we love you. We are rejected, but embraced by you. Amen.